Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Jennifer Palmer, founder of Osea, a clean, results-driven luxury skincare line she established in 1996, way before clean beauty was even a term we knew. What began as a personal passion soon evolved into a movement and a rapidly growing beauty brand. Jennifer is what I called in this episode the OG Glow Queen, having come out with the first glowy oil combined with seaweed, active botanicals, and essential oils back when everybody wanted matte. Osea's products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, climate-neutral certified, and made in California. In this episode, Jennifer shares all about her early beginnings starting with her grandmother, who believed that the ocean and seaweed were healing, to studying the healing arts and ultimately having her aha moment while she was a spa director, realizing that all the ingredients in skincare were filled with chemicals. We chat about the importance of taking baby steps and launching the brand, her upbringing as a child eating healthy food, the benefits of seaweed, which is a key ingredient in her products, her journey lobbying for clean beauty, and tips on how to work with family. I'm so excited for you to hear all about her journey. And as a bonus for our listeners, we have a 10% discount for your first purchase on Osea Malibu, that's O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. Use code PURELY10 at checkout. I highly recommend the Andara Algae Body Oil and the Hyaluronic C Serum. Enjoy! I'm so excited to share with you our new five grain and seed oatmeal multi-packs. We just launched two incredibly delicious varieties, classic cinnamon and banana nut. Our new oatmeals are unlike anything on the market, intentionally crafted with a plant-based protein blend of pea and chickpeas, sweetened with coconut sugar, plus superfood ingredients like chia and flax, perfect to fuel your busy day. These single-serve packets are total game-changers with irresistible taste and texture that's ready in literally a minute and perfectly suited for our new lifestyles back on the go or those days that we're still at home and you want an elevated, quick breakfast. So head on over to your local Sprouts or Kroger or head on over to PurelyElizabeth.com and pick up your new favorite breakfast staple. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's it's such a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I always love talking to another woman who's on a similar journey. Absolutely. And as, as I shared right before we got recording, I've been such a fan of your brand and so excited to really dive into your story. And as you said, you know, talking to another woman founder, and especially one who's not in the food space, it's always wonderful to hear kind of those adjacent stories and how we're living parallel journeys just in different industries. A hundred (laughs) percent. And you know what, women founders, we all need to support each other. Because, you know, we come from a place of still it's a very male dominated world. And the more that we really come together, whether it's our competitors in the same space or parallel spaces, but for all of us to really support each other, I think is essential. Absolutely. And it's, 
it's been amazing, I think, over the years for me in this industry. There's just been so many more women founders come into the space from when I started. I don't know if you feel the same. Oh, 100%. I love it. Yeah. So we always start the podcast talking about the beginning of your journey and would really love to take us back to the beginning. I know you have a really interesting founder story and really what led you to start your amazing brand, Osea? You know, I always say that any good story starts with your grandmother and certainly that's where Osea began. My grandmother was the first woman chiropractor. She graduated in 1919. She lived in Bayside, New York. She was a uh, workaholic type A before those words were even invented. Had six children. I mean, the whole bit. She wow. was a superwoman. Tiny little woman and a little bit of a tyrant, but very lovable <laughs> tyrant. She had fallen and injured herself. Of course, why would that stop her? I mean, she came to the U.S. at age 16 as an immigrant by herself. So, I mean, she was pretty unstoppable, but she ended up having a leg injury that finally put her in bed. And she was in bed for about six weeks. From what I understand, that was a highly unpleasant experience for the rest of the family because she was so unaccustomed having to surrender like that and she literally had a dream one night that the ocean would heal her and this is the same woman that woke up when the titanic was sinking screaming that the titanic was sinking and oh my god yeah i know and of course everyone my my grandfather actually thought he might have to get her in a straight jacket i mean she was that out of her mind so She has superpowers. Superpowers. So then the next morning when the news came in through the telegraph wires that the Titanic had sank, from there on, whenever my grandmother said I had a dream, everyone froze. Brace yourself. (laughs) Like, oh my God, I hope it's not about me. So when she woke up one, I don't know, maybe January morning in New York, after being in bed and said to my grandfather, I had a dream that the ocean and seaweed would heal me. And I want you to carry me down to the beach and put me in the water. And again, it was New York. It was January-ish. And obviously he obliged because no one really crossed her and put her in the water. And she felt a little relief. And he literally had to carry her back home. She lived near, he was a tall guy. And she, they lived near the beach. She went back again. He started joining her. And within a month, she was healed. And then they ended up starting one of, if not the first, one of the very first polar bear clubs. And my grandmother, and she would literally, like, at the time there was seaweed on the beach, she would pack it on her leg and take it home. And, you know, all sorts of creative, crazy ideas. And my grandmother's definition of a bad day with her, German accent was the ice was too thick to cut. (laughs) And I mean, we have these savage. savage. And I mean, we have these pictures of her and my grandfather. And it looks like you're thinking, why are they wearing snow boots and standing on the sand? But they're black and white pictures. They were standing in snow to get in the water. So even though I grew up 
between um, Toledo, Ohio and Geneva, Switzerland. That's probably a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a contrast. It was my family mythology that the ocean is a source of healing. Despite I rarely saw the ocean. And so, and, and you know, family mythologies are so fascinating because you, you believe that the rest of the world believes what you were taught in your family. And, and I was an anthropology major in college and it dawned on me when I met my first college roommate, I hate to do this to your stomach, but she and her family loved peanut butter, bacon and mayonnaise sandwiches. Oh no. <clears throat> oh no is right. And for her, that was her peanut butter and jelly. That was normal. And to see the shock of her fellow, you know, roommate, like, you eat what? That's disgusting. And that's when I realized family mythologies, you know, you just have these belief systems. And I was lucky to be gifted this family mythology of healing and that the ocean is an incredible source of healing. So that's kind of the foundation of it. And then I went into the archaeology world and Loved it, but realized, oh, you know, working in the desert and sleeping in tents and getting up at 3 a.m. was terrible for my social life. <laughs> Especially, you know, I just knew that wasn't for me. So I came back to the U.S. and asked my grandmother for advice. And she told me, go into the healing arts. And I said, the what? Because I thought she was going to tell me to become a chiropractor, but she had a much bigger vision. And I ended up studying the healing arts, which... And what year was this? This was 1978. Long time ago. I'm I'm turning 67 in December, so Amazing. I'm pretty exciting. And so that led me to my next journey of where in 1981, I was asked to become a spa director, which was rather ironic because I'd never been inside a spa before. However, there weren't really any spas in 1981. And this was, a, a, there was a couple like classic, like Gurney's. And then there was the Elizabeth Arden weight loss place. I, they used to, you know, they, it was like where women would drink champagne and go on diets, which actually- <laughs> sounds lovely. <laughs> now, now these kind of weight loss spas, you're exercising all the time. <laughs> and then there was this place called Marietta Hot Springs that was in Southern California. I was in charge of renovating the spa. And with that came creating spa services. And I think I really got the position because of my grandmother's background, my experience in the healing arts. And I was part of this kind of new age community, of course, right? I just walked into that spa and I just felt like I belonged. And I just started thinking up treatment ideas and, I went to little India in LA and bought Ayurvedic herbs and mixed them up and we painted people's bodies with them. And I even had this idea, which you're gonna laugh, but back then it was really like a big idea of taking salt and rubbing people down with Dr. Bronner's soap and then scrubbing them with salt. And I couldn't glow rub. And I'll never forget that moment when Origins in the 90s came out with the first salt glow scrub. And I just thought, oh, what a great idea. I mean, that's kind of what I was doing, but they even made it better. So as I was just kind of conjuring up all these things, people said, well, 
we should be doing facials and you need a skincare line. And, you know, I was in my late 20s and essentially I washed my face with water or a nearby bar of soap and put a little almond oil on my skin and I called it a day because I'm a minimalist. And that's when I thought, okay, I guess we should have skincare products. And how I learned about skincare was listening to all these companies come and pitch me. And I knew nothing. So I read the ingredients because that's, I mean, we were the family that ate non-hydrogenated special order peanut butter. So I was used to reading ingredients at the grocery store. So I started reading label ingredients. And then that's when I realized, wow, the skincare industry is just mostly comprised of all synthetic derived petroleum based ingredients. And I just kind of had this revelation of, wow, maybe there's a better way to do it. And that kind of really started me on my journey. And I mixed up some essential oil blends, but I kept wanting to, I knew seaweed was essential. I just knew it. And so in 1987, the spa was sold and I needed another job. So I went back to my private practice at that point of doing cranial touch and polarity therapy. But it was really strange because I knew I needed to start a skincare company. Yet I wasn't necessarily that interested in skincare. I just knew that that's what I had to do. And I think it was a tremendous advantage. And I always say that Osea chose me because I wouldn't have thought this up. And I was the girl in high school who really didn't brush my hair unless I had to. So, <laughs> so that's really kind of how it all began. And I knew it had to be seaweed based. And it, it was so interesting because I didn't even tie it back to my grandmother because of my family mythology. Yeah. So and that, like many years later, when I was training this whole room full of people at one of our very first spas, the Four Seasons on Maui, where we launched like 25 years ago, all of a sudden I said, oh my God, I'm up here because of my grandmother. It took me that long for the circuits to connect. And um so that's really how it all started because I just felt like there had to be a better way to do it. And it was so logical to me that this was what I needed to do. And I loved it. I love personal care. I love this business. And I feel so lucky that somehow I got chosen. <laughs> that's such a beautiful story. And I love the connection with your grandmother. So I have... So many questions, I guess, first shifting to earlier in this story, and I don't know how this plays a part, but curious what you were doing living in Switzerland and your upbringing, I suppose, when you talked a little bit about the non-hydrogenated peanut butter that you specially ordered. It sounds like your family was very ahead of their time. So just a little bit about that background, I think would be interesting. When your grandmother is a chiropractor, you actually think that all grandmothers adjust your neck in the <laughs> That was starters. And my grandmother was very much into whole foods and healthy eating. In fact, she used to have some of her patients come and stay at her house and put them on juice fast for a week at a time. Wow. I mean, 
even one of my cousins sent me one of my grandmother's iridology books from like the early like 1920s something that's so cool and I read my first day of kindergarten I mean you know how stressful that can be I went to kindergarten and in my lunch I had a baked sweet potato sliced apples my special peanut butter and hard cheese and everyone around me had bologna and white bread. And I was just like, I was a little embarrassed. And I used to like dream of having a bologna sandwich. But by the time I was old enough to in college to make myself one, never had one. So <laughs> it was that. And then one day uh, around sixth grade, my father came home from work early, which was very unlike him. And he said, well, we just got transferred to Geneva, Switzerland. So then suddenly I was in this whole other world where I was going to kids whose parents worked at the UN or World Health. And it was just a complete different reality. Yet at the same time, we got to Europe and we loved the food because we were- That's all what I was thinking. <laughs> green lettuce salads. And oh my God, at our school, I went to the International School of Geneva and Every day we started school at eight. And then I think it was 9.50, we had our little snack where, and this was, you know, K through 12. So this wasn't little kids, but we still got that morning snack, which was a warm baguette and dark chocolate inside. Oh my God, wow. I can't even begin to tell you how good that is to take a few squares of dark chocolate and tear open a warm baguette and put it inside. It's better than cake. Wow. And I love that you're a foodie because I mean, I experienced the world through food. <laughs> so Absolutely. Kind of how it all started. And so I, I just, I've lived this life and it's always been my life. I'm curious then at that time, obviously you were looking at food and labels and your family, your parents, your grandmother was very into that. What was there any conversation around body care, skin care, then it would just nothing. nothing. I mean, I wish I could tell you something really interesting, but there's absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. But I think it's a really natural progression. Sure. You know, what you eat, you put into your body, what you put on your skin indirectly goes into your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then you go and you study the healing arts. And what did that encompass at the time? What were you learning? Um, I was first, I started with polarity therapy, which was a really beautiful modality. It encompassed a lot of other healing touches. And then I studied Feldenkrais and Traeger and acupressure and Shiatsu. And I really fell in love with cranial touch work. That was truly my passion. And then I started a private practice, which was kind of unheard of at the time. And, you know, it's just, life is, you know, that I think it's that really cliche saying, you know, life happens while you're making plans. And I just, I just thought I was going to be this archaeologist digging in Africa with the leakies. And here I am, I have a skincare company. So incredible. Let's then jump ahead to you had this idea, this epiphany started playing around in your kitchen. And then what was really the moment that the business kind of started and took that leap? And then maybe the pivotal point where you really had felt like we are now 
you know, the leader in this clean, sustainable skincare? Well, I'm not sure I've ever felt like the leader. I'm certainly the grandma here. You know, I, I don't, you know, it was a series of steps because I, I have this belief that baby steps add up. And I just kept mm -hmm. taking little baby steps and, you know, I trademarked my name and then I incorporated it. And then I took my savings and spent $5,000 and bought glass bottles and way too many pumps. The guy oversold me. I mean, I bought five years of cosmetic pumps, which I did eventually use. So it was just a series of steps. And you know, and then for a long time, it was pretty lonely out there. There was one or two other companies and some of them are, and, and then the movement started to grow. So I don't really, I'm not really sure I'm the leader, but it's such a privilege to be with this group of people and many of them women committed to clean beauty. So I'm definitely at the party and I'm having a good time at the party. <laughs> yeah, you are for sure. Let's jump to seaweed, which is obviously part of the story with your grandmother and then part of your key signature ingredients. What are some of the benefits? I know from a food perspective, the incredible benefits that it has. And I've always thought about, God, could we make a food product with seaweed? Because it's so, such a magical ingredient. But if you could talk a little bit about that and, you know, how you harvest the seaweed, how you source it, all those fun things. I love seaweed because it's so rich in vitamins, minerals, amino acids, trace elements, micronutrients, you name it. I look at seaweed as those are ocean plants versus land plants. And through industrialized farming, we have depleted a lot of our land. And the ocean is still a source of nutrients. We use a variety of different seaweeds everywhere, you know, from Patagonia, wherever we can source from clean waters. Seaweed tends to be an invasive species. Not always, but there's many varieties that are invasive. So it's kind of a nice feeling to know that we're not stripping the Amazon for some amazing ingredient. Seaweed is fantastic. And I think all you have to do is look towards Asia and see all of the amazing ways that they cook and eat and use seaweed. It really is a superfood. Mm -hmm. I love seaweed. <laughs> and I even, I'm that weirdo. I love the smell of seaweed. Most people would say it smells like low tide, but to me, it's like that musky, earthy. I love it. Magical kind of smelling. One of my favorite things in the world to do is sometimes when we're down in Southern Patagonia meeting with some of our harvesters, they know I love this. They go out and they pick like, I, I didn't even know. Imagine filling up an entire bathtub with seaweed and then a little bit of hot water. And I get in that bathtub and they can't even get me out. And out later. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that sounds heavenly. I mean, literally, I look like covered. I look like Medusa. I'm covered in like these long pieces of seaweed, you know. And I mean, all you see is my head and seaweed. And that's probably the happiest place I can be. <laughs> that brings up a question, I guess, around sourcing and just 
you know, I, I imagine in the beginning you weren't traveling to Patagonia to source it and kind of talk about that now, because I know for me, the first time, say we were able to go to our coconut sugar supplier in Indonesia, it was just like one of those moments where I felt like that was my almost like I made it that like here we are around the world being able to see where this comes from and and the impact it's having on the community there by bringing them business. So I'd love to hear about how that was for you. Well, you know, I, well, we, we source seaweed from France, from primarily France, Southern Patagonia. I think just being there and seeing it and feeling it. And just like what you said, that the impact in the local community. And, you know, when we source ingredients, we do our very best to vet the source. And there's so many beautiful stories now around ingredients, like how, you know, argon oil comes from Morocco and it's basically women's collectives. So there's, there's just, there's so many great natural ingredients now. And I think that's really been one of the exciting things because when I started, I was really limited to my ingredient choices. And that's why like now we can kind of update and actually improve some of our iconic products with these new amazing, we call them raw materials, but ingredients. So it's, I love it. It's, it's a really special thing. And we always look for, um, especially with our actives, we always look for companies, raw material suppliers that have done the clinical testings that have tested in vivo. So we can really, we know we're getting ingredients that have an effect on the skin because that's important. Absolutely. So if someone is new to your brand, what products do you say, okay, here's where to start with. Like if you, obviously you could have different needs, but just for overall kind of glowing skin, where do you start? Cause you have so many great products. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I've always been about the glow and that's got to be the most popular word in skincare right now. But when I started, it was all about matte. No one wanted any glow. Oh, that's so interesting. Cause I actually launched Osea when I was 42. And I'm thinking, oh no, I need the glow to like- You have amazing skin, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, and I used to tell people, I go, look, I've got fine lines everywhere, but if your skin glows, no one notices them. So I've always been about the glow. So I would say, well, have, it's kind of like, who's my favorite child out of yeah. the children? And let me tell you, it does rotate who the favorite is. <laughs> I, I feel the same. Yeah. Even though they're all adults now, yeah. you know, right? Well, it's funny. My personal favorite is, and we were the first company to do this at a high concentrate, is essential hydrating oil. It was the first product I ever formulated. I made it in like in my kitchen, in maybe 1985. And I've pretty much used it every day since. And it's wow. It's a, it's a blend of essential oils that help hydrate the skin. And there's, and I'm also so happy to say there's so many beautiful face oils. Now they're a big trend. I really had to buck everything to get people to make their skin glow. You were so ahead of your time. <laughs> the glow. Yes. 
but I would say some of our ones that would be really easy for people to try, like um, certainly our Hyaluronic Sea Serum. It's a blend of different seaweeds along with three molecular weights of hyaluronic acid. We have our newest product, which is Seabiotic Water Cream, which keeps your skin so hydrated. It works with the microbiome. It's an extraordinary product and will absolutely give you the glow. And then of course, one of our iconic products for the body is Undaria Algae Body Oil. And we make that, and this was another one of my crazy ideas, was I thought, well, what would happen if we took seaweed and stuck it in vats of botanical oils and let it sit? Well, what happens is that the seaweed begins to infuse into the botanical oils. And the result is kind of this green oil, which does smell like low tide. That's why we put in a lovely blend of essential oils. People buy the product for the smell, which I love. And it's just this beautiful, highly unique seaweed-based body oil. You know, and we have a huge fan base around that. So, you know, I would just go to the website and see what speaks to you. Because again, it's hard to say who my favorite child is. <laughs> well, those sound like good ones. And I think, to your point about the body oil, it's such an important thing. I think we're, we are focused on our face and what we're putting on and thankfully, thanks to you and others, the clean movement for our face has really come so far. But I do feel like less people are even talking about our body. And at the end of the day, our body, our skin on our body is our largest organ. And so it's so important to be putting clean product all over our body. I totally agree because the amount that you put on your body far supersedes what you're putting on your skin or on your face rather. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, I'd love to talk a little bit about you being really one of the first people in the industry, I think, lobbying for clean beauty and really like kind of where we are today and, and anything we should know. Well, it was interesting because in 201, the Environmental Working Group and another organization reached out to me and said, would you sign this global pact for um, safe cosmetics? And I said, great, fax it to me, you know, before all that great internet stuff, right. fax it over. And I did. And I, I mean, I just read their mission statement and it was so in line with everything I believed. And then they called me up and they were like, whoa, no one else would sign this. And I thought, wow. I mean, I kind of just got lucky that they asked me. And of course I signed it. And then I worked with them a bit to, um, there's an amazing woman, there's Breast Cancer Fund Partners. There's this amazing woman who's been fighting the good fight for so many years, Janet Noodleman. And she invited me to um, initially help launch the Skin Deep Report with press conference and media. And then she began to invite me to, she's based in San Francisco, to talk to the California legislature because if you can change something in California, it's such a big economy the rest of the country has to follow suit. And so there's still Janet and the whole team all these years later are still working on it. And it's really exciting because now there's four bills in Congress. It's a safer beauty package. And it's gonna, they're really addressing banning the worst ingredients, disclosing all the fragrance and flavor ingredients 
better protection for salon workers and especially women of color because so many minorities work in nail salons, et cetera. And also so importantly is helping companies get the information from the supply chain that they need to know because sometimes the supply chain withholds information and you have to dig hard into it. And, you know, the US, US laws govern like, you know, the beauty industry is a hundred billion dollar industry. And the laws are like two pages long and it hasn't been updated in 80 years. Wow. Whereas with Europe, more than 2,400 chemicals have been banned. So, you know, it's time for change. And I think it's really coming. It's, an, it's, a, it's really from the ground up. And there's um, right before COVID, well, actually I've done it now Zoom testifying, but something that was so heartwarming was going to um, Washington DC, meeting with people on both sides of the aisle and you know how fractured everything is. And this was something that both sides of the aisle were really interested and wanted to hear about. And that was really exciting to me. So that's huge news. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, wow, you all can agree on something. Right. I mean, yeah. So do you think we're close to getting something passed or where do you think, think we're headed? I think we will get some things passed. There'll be compromises. But, you know, the thing about democracy, which I love, is it's very messy and everybody has to duke it out. But it is all moving forward. So I'm really, really optimistic. You know, already a lot of the really major companies, they formulate EU standards because it's too hard to make a different product for Europe. So it's really coming though from what the, con the consumers are speaking with their dollars. You know, clean beauty is probably the, one of the fastest growing segments of the beauty industry, if not the fastest. I'm so deep in it. I don't know the exact data on it. But yeah, I think it's going to happen. I'm super optimistic. And I've been at it for 20 years. And it's actually, I would encourage anybody to lobby and try to meet with your representative or your senator, because you know what they want to hear from their constituents. And I never knew that before. And they are so gracious, even if they disagree with you. And they listen. So. Well, that's definitely a good takeaway. It must be so exciting for you to see how this has evolved since when you started, like from oh. having zero conversation, zero products on the shelf to now this being the movement that's growing the category that's in the conversation and, and how much has shifted. Yeah, I mean, it's so wonderful to see you know, there's retail stores that are just all clean beauty, you know, like Credo and Polane and Detox Market. And then places like Blue Mercury and Ulta have the clean beauty section. So in Sephora, it's it's really exciting. It's happening. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're not in that space, like those people need to make some changes. Yeah, exactly. And they will, for sure. Because I hope one day we can actually drop the word clean and just go back to calling right. it beauty, personal care, whatever. 
So as you think about kind of what your own non-negotiables or guardrails are for ingredients, and I know packaging is also a big thing for you, what does that look like? Whenever humanly possible, we package in glass. We have two body scrubs that are in plastic, which I consider a compromise, but it's really hard to grab a glass jar when your hands are kind of oily, but everything else is in glass. And I love glass because it's, it's sustainable, it's recyclable and it's inert. So you're not having, you know, breakdown of plastic going into your product. So I'm all about glass in terms of sourcing ingredients. We really want to see the data and get as much as we can source how it's processed because a, a beauty ingredient starts out as an, a natural substance and then it, it becomes more what we would call natural derived where, well, perfect example, I mean, olives grow on a tree, but olive oil is pressed. I mean, it's naturally derived from olives. So, you know, just really looking at their sourcing, their testing, those are all really, really important things for us. That's great. So switching gears a little bit to your journey, spanning the company and growing the company, I'd love to hear, you know, for you, how that journey has been and how you continue to really stay engaged and excited and not burnt out. And I know that your your family is now or has been part of the business for a while. So interested to also hear how that plays a role in all of it too. Well, I was a single mom for a long time when I was starting this. So I was all about child labor because it was my children. <laughs> <laughs> I've had publicists say you can't even say those words, but you know what? My kids your kids. Were, were my kids and they were putting on labels and helping me pack stuff up. And so they just kind of really grew up around it. And I've been, it's truly been one of my greatest pleasures in life to work with my adult children, to see them in the world as other people see them versus me just seeing them as their mother when they come home. Probably the best piece of advice that was ever given to me was this was mm, 10 years ago. And I won't mention the name of the company, but a very large aspirational wellness type company, like famous, you know, for all their good deeds, family run. And the founder wanted to meet with me. And I thought, oh my God, do they want to do some kind of collaboration? I'm thinking, this is it. I've made it. So he came to my house and we met and and we're drinking tea and I'm so well, I came here to talk to you about something and I'm thinking drum roll. Here we go. <laughs> said, you know, we have a family business and my husband did not speak to my son for four years. And I came here to tell you that you have a beautiful company and a beautiful family and you need a business family therapist. Wow. <laughs> like, Wow. <laughs> I was, was not what I was expecting at all. And, but I thought, okay. And, and then she said, the next generation that comes into your business is going to want to push you and make you do things that you're not sure about. And because they're family members, 
they're going to trigger you in different ways. And so I immediately went out and got ourselves a business family therapist who everybody in the family has spoken with at various times. And it's kind of interesting. He did his job so well. I don't think we've spoken to him in maybe three years, but just knowing that he's there and holding that space for us, like sometimes we'll say, you know, maybe we need to call John and someone else will say, good idea. And then it will, the issue will resolve itself. So that's one of, I think, a really good secret to a successful family business. Absolutely. So how many family members are in the business now? My husband who, um, you know, when we first met, I had started the company and then I kept saying, could you help me with this? Could you help me with that? So he really stepped in and did a lot of things. And he is now retired, which he's thrilled about. He retired last year. And then my daughter, who was the oldest one, who was always kind of the bossiest one in the family, oldest sibling. Of course. Yes, of course. So what number are you? I'm the youngest. Um, You really know. Yeah. (laughs) I got a bossy one. (laughs) She worked with the company during college, took a little time off during college, and I had to fire her because I didn't want her not to complete her college education. She's really worked with us the longest, and she's now our CEO. She left and ran another company and then came back. And then the youngest daughter has actually been working for the oldest daughter in her last company and this company. Oh, that's so funny. And then our son is now part of it. So yeah, it's, it's been really, really fun. That must be such a wonderful thing to be able to share in those day-to-day parts that I think if you're not in it, it's hard to truly understand what you go through. Yeah. And it's also just having, you know, because I loved being a mother and I loved every moment of them being at home. And then when they went to college, I was really excited to get my life back. But then all of a sudden I went, I don't, it's really an adjustment to go from living with the people you love and then they're gone. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to see you on a holiday or we're going to have, we'll try to have lunch. So having that ability that we flow in and out and even just that two minute conversation, it's, it's really wonderful. I love it. That's so nice. And are you guys back in the office or are you still remote? Mostly remote. We do have an office where people come in and do meetings and, you know, because of remote, we have people kind of all over the U S working with us now. So, I mean, it's been a rough, challenging time during covid but there's it's a it's allowed us to really expand in terms of who we work with absolutely for us too it's it's been you know i I feel like there's nothing like being in the office and having those random water cooler conversations just around the kitchen table but being able to hire the best talent wherever they are across the country has definitely been a silver lining yes exactly and we God only knows we need a silver lining. Exactly. Right? We're looking for all silver linings. That's right. <laughs> so we are going to switch gears to some rapid fire Q&A. All right. And you know, I I saw the questions you sent me and I decided when I saw rapid fire, I thought I'm not even going to read those. Perfect. 
We'll get them live. Okay, so your favorite product of yours. You can only pick one. Oh. Or if you want to pick two, we could maybe allow to. Well, you know what? I would say my favorite product at the moment is our, one of our very newest, which is the Seabiotic Water Cream, because I love how light it feels on my skin, yet my skin is so hydrated as a result for hours. And it makes my skin glow. And you know me, I've been talking about the glow forever. So I, I love the Seabiotic Water Cream. We're going to call you the OG Glow Queen. All right. I'm going to take that. I just never understood why do people want to put all that makeup on their skin and look matte? Well, of course you want to look glowing. So. Totally. Yeah. So does Seabiotic mean that there's a probiotic part there's to that? Probiotic in there. Yes. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I made up the word C-biotic because it just seems so logical. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is the best advice you've gotten in the past six months? You know, I think the best advice was from an 88-year-old woman who is just an extraordinary person. She's still a therapist along with doing meditation retreats, etc. And she encouraged me to really focus my gratitude on being grateful for the human experience. And when she said those words, everything lit up in my mind. And when I go to sleep at night, I just, I just am, I just say I'm so thankful or I'm so grateful for this human experience. I love that. Do you have an additional practice that goes along with that as far as your well, gratitude or is it well just kind I've, of thinking about it at night well i've been meditating every day since i was 21 years old it's how i start my day and it's how i end my day and it, you know sometimes it's 10 minutes sometimes it's 20 minutes sometimes it's five minutes but for me i found just doing it every day has been really really important to me well, that was going to be my next question was your morning routine. Well, my morning routine is, first of all, I'm not a morning person. So <laughs> my morning routine is I wake up. At what time? When I want. This is my nice. This is the greatest luxury right now. I mean, I was getting up at 630 for many years and was not a morning person. But I, you know, I tend to wake up anywhere from like, 7 30 to 8 15 but it's it's such a luxury if i don't feel like waking up i roll over and go back to sleep it's love it it's the best so i'll wake up drink a couple of glasses of water and then i will sit in my little corner and meditate for usually around 20 minutes then it's time for espresso <laughs> and my husband i have my own personal barista really recommend, really recommend living with someone that loves to make coffee. <laughs> Sounds like a lovely way to start the day. It is. I love it. Three random things that you're currently loving. It could be product, book, TV, restaurant, anything. Let's see. Well, one thing is I am loving toasting pumpkin seeds and putting them on everything like from pumpkin bread to salads i mean it goes t 
toast it fresh. Yeah, for me, I find that if I freshly just toast them in a cast iron skillet, the flavor of those are so good. So I'm kind of obsessed with pumpkin seeds. I just went to a music festival and heard my new favorite band who I'm obsessed with called Day Glow. The guys. Yeah, I know. I know. Day Glow. The guy is 22 years old, writes all his music, and it's it's kind of indie pop, but really happy and upbeat. So I'm really obsessed with them. I just read this incredible book called The Midnight Library. And it's I would recommend it to anyone. Like I've had a few friends who have gotten because of motherhood have gotten out of the habit of reading a book. So it's really hard to sit down and think about reading a book when you've got everything else. And this book is so beautiful with short little chapters and it just it just expands your mind. It's really a great book. I've been obsessed with that. We'll have to check all of those out. Fully check out Dayglow. <laughs> What do you want more of in your life? You know, I'm not sure I want more of anything in my life, you know, other than more time to be on this planet. I, I'm, I, yeah, that would be the only thing I would want more of is more of the human experience and the privilege of being here. What do you want less of? Dust. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, the sunlight streams in through the windows and I look down on my wood floors and I'm like, where did all this dust come from? My newest fantasy is, wouldn't it be epic if we could figure out how to take dust and turn it into a source of alternative energy? That would be amazing. I know, because I still don't know where all the dust comes from and I would like less of it. So Fair enough. <laughs> a meal that you'll never forget. Oh, this was right before lockdown in LA. We were out with some friends and one of our friends was a real foodie. And I said, we have to go to this vegan restaurant, which he did not want to go to because he's, you know, loves all that other kind of stuff. And we were first. So first we went to see this amazing exhibit at the Broad Museum. And then we walked over to this restaurant in downtown LA called Olac. It's like a French Vietnamese vegan restaurant and the chef took a vow of silence like over a decade ago he only communicates with the team with notes and hand gestures and the food there is amazing and this moment where we ordered the quote unquote shrimp which obviously wasn't shrimp and my friend was insistent that, you know, Mr. Gourmet was insistent that it was real shrimp. And I said, no, this is a vegan restaurant. And even my husband joined in, you know, we're kind of having that mansplaining moment. And my husband's like, no, 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 this is definitely shrimp. And I said, okay, let's call over the server. And of course it was made out of sweet potato and tapioca starch. And they even shape it to make it look like shrimp but it's this extraordinary restaurant in a little strip center that's been around for years and it is so high level vegan unlike anything that sounds amazing next next trip to la LA, i gotta try that you gotta try it yeah what is your diet like today you know are you vegan or i'm mostly vegan yes i i love vegetables vegetables are my jam. You know, I, I love vegetables. I, 
I love to cook. I've kind of recently been into doing these like big bolognese sauces with, you know, like roasted cauliflower. Kind of one of my newest obsessions is taking cauliflower, ripping it into tiny pieces and dousing it with olive oil and curry and then roasting until it's really chewy and then mixing that in with a fresh tomato sauce it's i I i'm really kind of into this tomato curry juxtaposition i love cooking that sounds delicious my mind also just went to making the cauliflower like that and then having some like raisins or some like sweetness to that curry would be so good too with raisins and Freshly toasted almonds. I'm, I'm obsessed now. I I toast everything or, you know, right before I eat it. So, yeah. But I'm also, I like to, I love vegetable juice. For breakfast, I'm not really a big breakfast eater. You know, I'll like have some nuts or something after my espresso. And then I, I kick, and then I start eating around noon and I'm at it for the rest of the day. I love food. <laughs> What is your favorite OCA moment? You know, it's funny because whenever people like, I tend to really live in the present. And so usually my favorite moment is something that just recently happened to me. And we were just in New York a few days ago and we started this billboard campaign. And I went and saw the first billboard, which was so beautiful. enormous billboard where is it or where was that one that you saw it specifically in new york on the corner of watts and thompson when i saw that billboard i just started sobbing i mean i couldn't believe that it was happening you know of course then both of my daughters are filming me sobbing it was such a moment it was such a rush of energy to see something that i've worked 26 years on to see it on a billboard and then look around and see like these other companies that have always been aspirational to me or fashion companies with their billboards. And there we were. It was so cool. You're making me get teary just thinking about like what that moment would feel like. I, I just like, I cried like a baby. And then there's this woman kind of, we're at a corner and there's this woman, like everyone's kind of getting ready to cross the street. And it was still a, you know, non-cross. And I turned to her and I said, that's my billboard. It took oh. me six years. And she looked at me kind of strangely. And then I looked harmless enough. She was wow, congratulations. <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations. That is so exciting. What is the campaign? What does it say on the billboards? Um, you know, we talk like sea to skin, clean beauty, climate neutral, you know, it's just what, well, you know, since 1996, it's just little, little snippets of who we are. Wonderful. I can't, I hope I get to see it. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> okay, perfect. Love it. So last question, rapid fire. What is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Positive attitude. People forget that the brain is the most important organ in the body. And I, I mean, it's not necessarily easy for me every day to have a positive attitude, but it's essential. And once I really correlated my actual happiness which equals healthiness to having 
a positive attitude and to just work those kinks out in my brain. That's, I always have to choose the positive route. And I mean, look, sometimes I'll even just say, okay, I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna be really cranky for the next 90 seconds, or I'm gonna just think every negative thought I can think. And I've got like two minutes to do it. And then I have to cut it off and just make that switch over because the brain is the most important organ. So that's a, a great tip for, I think, getting out that negativity. Yeah. I mean, look, we're not hardwired to be happy all the time. I mean, that's, I mean, sometimes I can wake up cranky, but you just, yeah, it's like you have to adjust it. Yeah. It's a choose. Yeah, exactly. It's a choice. And sometimes it's a hard choice, but the more that you understand, you know, happy brain, happy mind, everything else is going to follow thereafter. It's funny. I just had Dr. Vincent Pedrayon, who wrote the book, Happy Gut, because happy mind and happy gut are so connected. They're the same. They right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So in closing, anything that we haven't touched on, what's next for you? Well, what's next? Well, what's next for um, Osea yeah. is we're going into, we're going to expand into new personal care categories, which I'm excited. And what's next for me is I'm hoping maybe by next summer, I want to start studying neuroanatomy in depth because I love how the brain functions and I want to learn more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was so much fun getting to hear your story and all about your journey. Well, and thank you for your really thoughtful, wonderful questions. I really appreciate it. And you know, you were so kind to like send me them in advance. And I kind of just, I honestly really just looked at them a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the rapid fire, I'm like, nope, I'm going to be surprised. But I really love that your questions were really thoughtful and I really appreciate that. So thank, thank you. And thank you for inviting me and what? congratulations on the success of your business. Thank you. And congratulations to you. And so happy we got to meet. Yeah. And maybe one day in person. That would be lovely. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.